You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, it seems appropriate to begin a five-week conversation in justice on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. But here's, let me give you two reasons why I think this is so important, at least personally. The first is, I think that we find God in justice. I know that we bring a lot of doubts to questions about God. But I think that justice is one place, one signpost that God has put in our soul. This sense that seems to be innate and universal, that there is for all time and all people certain things that are just right or wrong, that there are basic human rights that no matter who you are or where you live must be observed. That points us to God. Fyodor Dostoevsky says, if there is no God, everything is permitted. And you and I know everything is not permitted. And that points us to God. So I think we have an opportunity to find God in justice as we really understand justice. But I also think we have an opportunity to find justice in God. When we know God through Jesus Christ, we see justice in a fresh way. We have new resources to become agents of justice. So often when the wider culture talks about justice, they're talking about what's wrong with the world. And there are things wrong with the world, but as followers of Jesus, we see a bigger picture. We we know we can also talk about what's right about the world. After all, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he saw that it was good. It's good. And he's not going to rest until it truly is good for all people in all places. After all, as followers of Jesus, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son because he's going to redeem all things and make all things new. So I think we have an opportunity to really find justice as the followers of Jesus, find justice in God. Well, today, I just want to get us started. I want to begin with questions about the heart of justice. What is it? I'd like to move past some of our political philosophies on the left and on the right to something deeper uh, that's rooted in the character of God. And I'd like to do so by taking you back to the 8th century B.C., if you'll go with me, to the the day uh, in which Israel had kind of a prosperous season, as they did in the 8th century, Uh, But they lost track of God in the midst of their justice. They became prosperous. They uh, secured themselves by forming political alliances with the warring powers, the superpowers of the ancient Near East uh, at that time. And these alliances were rather expensive to maintain. They had to pay tribute on an annual basis. And to raise that much uh, wealth... Uh, they had to restructure not only their economy, but their society. There were unintended consequences. Whereas they had been family farmers living in these tribal collectives uh, to, to raise the amount of money they needed to raise, they had to uh, farm on a totally different scale, large-scale agriculture, cash crops. Uh, to do this, the kings of Israel started to give land grants to people who were well-connected 
and, and you had a, a wealthy class that started to rise above everybody else, and it pushed a poorer class down and down. The laborers were no longer reaping the rewards of their own efforts on the farm. And so people who had were taking advantage of people who had not. And in the context of this injustice, God responds from the heart. God sends in the 8th century a lot of prophets to Israel, and, and you know their names. Uh, many of you re remember the names Hosea and Amos and Micah, and greatest of them all is, of course, Isaiah. God sends Isaiah and encourages his people to find justice, to recover justice, and to do so in the heart of God. I want to read Isaiah for you tonight, and, uh, but I'd like you to follow along. So would you pull out a Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 58 on page 600 of the black book in the pew rack in front of you. Please turn to Isaiah 58, and I'm going to read the text. I know we like to oftentimes stand and read together, but tonight it's, it's long, it's beautiful, and I'm going to make a couple of comments. Would you just allow me to be our reader for the whole? But please follow along, and when we're done, as always, I'll say this is the word of the Lord giving you an opportunity, if you believe it, to say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're hearing God's holy word. First, God is speaking now as he calls Isaiah. Shout out, he says. Shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness or justice, and did not forsake the ordinance or the justice of God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God, and then now we hear what the Israelites are saying as they worship God. These quotations are, are from the Israelites to God. They say to God, why do we fast, but you do not see why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? And now the Lord responds. Here's his answer. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day, and you oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day just to humble oneself? Is it just to bow down the head like a bulrush, meaning like a reed, you know, that's blowing in the wind, and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? No. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice? to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin or family? But the Hebrew word there is literally the word for flesh, your own flesh and blood, fellow human beings. Then, he says, your light shall break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. 
If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And this is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just heard never will. So let's, let's begin tonight with a, a working definition of justice. Here, here's my definition tonight. Justice is the mercy of God that brings healing to the world. That's a little bit of a different twist, isn't it? Justice is the mercy of God that brings healing to the world. Did you hear that healing in the passage that we just talked about? Healing. So keep the Bible open, uh, and I want to walk through this with you. The point tonight is that mercy is the healing heart of justice. Now, here's the first thing I'd like you to notice. Notice this. It's possible to think that you're part of the solution, but really be part of the problem. And, and this is so important when we're talking about justice. It's possible to think that you're part of the solution, but really to be part of the problem. Now, why do I say that? Because that's what God says to Israel here. He says, day after day, verse 2, you seek me and delight to know my ways, as if you were a nation that practiced righteousness. As if means they're not actually, but they come seeking God as though they were. They're confused about they who they have self-deception. And that's why God says to Isaiah, shout. So I want you to shout. It's not that the Israelites were hard of hearing or far away. It's that the self-deception is intractable. It's hard to break through. What's going on here? Fundamentally, I think it's that Israel has lost track of mercy. Why do I say that? Well, two reasons. First of all, did you notice that the Lord says to Israel, you're seeking your own interests? You, you think you're coming to worship me. All your religion, all your piety, all your so-called spirituality, oh, you're so deep and spiritual. But let me tell you, you're not really serving me in all of that. You're just serving yourself. It's just about your own interests. It's just about you. And it's not going to be mercy until it's about somebody else, until it's about you helping somebody else in need. And how can I help you if you are actually hurting the other people around you? I, as your God, would be complicit in your injustice. I can't. God says. The other reason I say they've lost track of mercy is that they seem to be negotiating with God on the basis of merit. Follow me here. In verse 3, when we have those quotation marks, look at how they appeal to God. On the basis of their works, they say, hey, 
Look, why do we fast, but you don't see? Why would we humble ourselves? Because you never notice. We're doing all the things you tell us to do. We're doing all these good things. Aren't we great? And because we're holding up our end of the deal, you need to come through on your end of the deal. Isn't that interesting? This is an economy of merit. And God's like, what? Since when have I ever taught you this? We live in an economy of mercy. You can't coerce me into giving something that I've already decided I'm going to give you for free simply because I love you. See, that's who our God is, and they're missing him. Now, it's possible to think that you're part of the solution and still be part of the problem. It'll happen anytime we lose track of mercy because mercy is the healing heart of justice. Brian Stevenson is an African-American attorney who has made a career out of defending prisoners on death row. And there's a moment in Brian Stevenson's life when uh, he has an experience of mercy, and it's a turning point for him. And he needs this turning point. Let me tell you the story. He's in his office one night waiting by the phone. Uh, he knows that that phone is going to ring because one of his clients is on death row in Alabama, and uh, he's about an hour away from execution. He's told this prisoner to call him regularly throughout the day because they're waiting on a stay of execution from the Supreme Court. The fax comes through to Brian Stevenson, and it's bad news. The Supreme Court has declined the stay of execution. This is it. No more recourse for this poor man in prison. And the phone's going to ring, and Brian is going to have to, his lawyer is going to have to tell him he's just minutes away from the end of his life. It's a phone call you never want to take. The phone rings, and Brian picks up the phone, thinking, why do I do this? I'm so tired of a justice system that makes it so hard to defend people who are innocent. And he's on the verge of quitting and resigning. And he's thinking that as he takes this call, he's about to get anger. Of course. I'm a failed lawyer. I've, I've let this guy down, and it's costing him his life. But, but as he listens to the voice on the other end, he hears, first of all, he hears stammering because this is a, a crisis in his life of unbelievable proportions. The guy can hardly form words. But what the man on the other end of the line is trying to say to his failed lawyer is not anger, but appreciation. Thank you. It was a moment of mercy. And in that moment of mercy, Brian Stevenson has a flashback to boyhood days. He was 10 or 11 years old. His mom took him to church one day, and he bullied another kid. This kid had a speech impediment, and Brian made fun of him in front of the other boys. When his mom found out, she was absolutely furious, and she roared at him. She said, you are going to go back, and you're going to find that boy, and you're going to give him a hug, and you're going to tell him you love him, <laughs> which was almost intolerable for little Brian, as you can imagine. But he feared his mom more than he feared the social shame, and so he did what she said, right? So he went up to that boy, and kind of in a compulsory way, he just kind of limply put his arms around the kid, and he said, I love you, like you say when mom has told you to say something, right? But here's what surprised him. The kid pulled him in close and squeezed him in earnest. And without a hint of a speech impediment, whispered in Brian's ear, I love you too. Mercy. Mercy. And as Brian is listening to this man on death row, give him mercy. 
he realizes, this is why I do what I do. Because I'm a broken man, but mercy is the reality that drives the heart of the universe. And he heard that man say to him, I just want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for failing you. I just want to say thank you for caring. And then he said, I love you. And there it was. It cemented Brian Stevenson's career to this day. And by God's grace, I pray that he continues to fight in the way that he is fighting. That was a turning point in his life. And I believe that God has raised up Isaiah in the 8th century because he wants Israel to have a turning point as well. He wants Israel in the midst of a scary geopolitical situation to know that they have a God in heaven who calls them my people, who wants to throw his arms of love around them, pull them in tight with earnest and say in their ear, I love you. If they'll listen, it will be a turning point. Mercy is the healing heart of justice. But what is justice? They say it's getting what you deserve. You know, there's a father who got what he deserved in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, not long ago, read the story in the news. Uh, his son was in the backseat of the car when he went through a red light, and the boy called the police, actually. And the boy apparently wants to become a police officer when he grows up, so he's starting early. So uh, he, the, he, the father, the kid says, you know, Daddy, you ran through the red light. And his daddy says, oh, well, yes, but, you know, I, I, I stopped. And if you stop at a red light and you're turning right, it's okay to go through the, you know, the red light. And the boy said to him, uh, he wasn't taking anything of it, of it, you know. So when they got home, the boy went right to the telephone and dialed 911. True story. Called the dispatcher and said, daddy just broke the law. <laughs> well, they didn't press any charges. But uh, it, when the Boston Globe got involved and interviewed this boy, he says to them, everybody follows the rules, but not daddy. Six, six years old. And he, and he learned that he did 911 wasn't the right thing to do. And so he said, next time I'm not going to call the police, but I am going to call the eye doctor so he can fix his eyes. <laughs> Man, you know what? If you and I got what we deserve, if that were justice, this room would be empty right now. We would all be in serious trouble, Right? I mean, we don't get what we deserve. That's not what justice is. And what do we deserve anyway? And who would be the people wise and gracious enough to be able to say what we deserve? No, I tell you, justice is a hugely complicated issue, set of questions, and you know that. But what I know for sure is that at the heart of it is mercy, the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Now, there are two Old Testament words for justice. Just briefly, let me share them with you. Mishpat, uh, this word... Uh, uh, it's often translated judgment, and what it means is to make a good decision. It's oftentimes used about kings or judges. Make a good decision, mishpat. The other word that's frequently used for justice in the Old Testament, I mean, like hundreds of times, is tzedakah, uh, which is frequently translated righteousness. And it really speaks of right relationships, uh, a world in which we're rightly related to God, related to one another as fellow human beings, and related to the natural order. Sedeca, righteousness. 
Now, these two words are interchangeable. They're uh, used frequently together. Isaiah loves to use them together. When they are used together, they, 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 they communicate to us that justice is the sense of making good decisions that reorder the creation into right relationships. And therefore, my definition is that justice is the mercy of God that brings healing uh, to the world. Now, what does that look like in someone's life? Uh, Job gives us an excellent example of this. In Job 29, verses 12 and 16, Job talks about his life, and he says this. He's going to use these two words. He says, I delivered the poor who cried and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the wretched came upon me. In other words, the wretched blessed me because I served them. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Somewhere out there, there are widows who are singing because I have served them as well. And now he uses the words. He says, I put on righteousness, that's tzedakah, and it clothed me. My justice, that's mishpat, was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I championed the cause of the stranger. So this is a beautiful picture of a man who's living out mercy in the world, and he's an agent, therefore, of God's justice. Mercy is the healing heart of justice. How could you and I be agents of justice here in Seattle in the 21st century? Let me answer that question by telling you a story, just briefly. I learned recently that there's a language called Martha's Vineyard Sign Language. Sounds lovely. I think I'd like to go learn it. Martha's Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard is an island off the coast of Massachusetts. And for almost 200 years, they had a disproportionately large number of people with a hearing impairment. There was a migration from England with a hereditary deaf, strain of hereditary deafness. And because of that, um, many people on the island couldn't hear or couldn't hear well. Now, normally, here's what deaf uh, 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 people with deafness have to contend with. They have to learn how to accommodate themselves to the hearing world. Uh, they have to learn to lip read, or uh, you have to buy an expensive hearing aid, or you have to write, or do something like that. Accommodate yourself to the hearing world. But on Martha's Vineyard, for whatever reason, what happened is the hearing people chose to accommodate themselves to those who had the hearing impairment. And virtually everybody on the island learned sign language. Isn't that interesting? The majority accommodated themselves to a minority. And in so doing, they created shalom or justice in that regard uh, on the island. Uh, the Yale professor writes a story in her book, Everyone Here Spoke Sign Language. Her name is Nora Ellen Gross. Here's what I would say. If you and I want to be agents of justice, what we need to do is disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage others. Now, I've taken that from um, a man named Bruce Walkey, who's on the translation committee for the New International Version. He's a Hebrew scholar. He used to worship with us here until he took a call into the ministry just a few years ago. He, uh, he, he's a, an expert on the book of Proverbs, and he did this study in Proverbs. Every time the word for justice shows up, uh, righteousness, tzedakah, and what does it mean? And he wrote his own proverb out of that. And he wrote this, the wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. That's the wicked. But the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. Is that right? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So 
Uh, Bruce Walkie says, Dr. Walkie says, you know, imagine you're driving on the freeway and a car is trying to merge in. Now, what do you do at that point, right? Okay, here's what I do. I speed up and close the gap so the person doesn't try to get in front of me, okay? That's wicked. That's wicked. <laughs> but I, I honestly have to say, I do that. Um, we're supposed to, if we want to be righteous and promote justice, disadvantage ourselves, slow down a little bit, open up a spot, allow the car to come in in front of you. You disadvantage yourself in order to advantage somebody else. Now, I like that because it's very practical. Let me, let me give you two practical takeaways this week. The first takeaway is this. I want to invite you to read Brian Stevenson's book. Um, it's called Just Mercy. You will not be disappointed. It's a wonderful book. It's a page turner. And I just thought it'd be cool if we had kind of a common book, you know, like let's pretend we're all freshmen in college going back to school. You know how they do the common book. Let's just be our common book this, this uh, winter as we uh, study justice together. Brian Stevenson, Just Mercy. The other takeaway is this. Let's look for opportunities this week, each of us, to try to disadvantage ourselves so that we can advantage others. And it might be how you drive on the freeway. It might be sharing a cup of coffee with someone, doing it your roommate's way. Um, if you're married, I mean, what a great uh, discipline that is for you to try to advantage your spouse by disadvantaging yourself. Try it. So that's the assignment this week. And I want to encourage you to focus on small things. Sometimes we just think big. But think of small things because you're trying to habituate yourself to a lifestyle of justice. Put mercy into action. Because mercy is the healing heart of justice. Well, really the big question when we're thinking about justice isn't so much how would you define it, but who is God? And this is where the passage gets very interesting to me. Again, if you're looking at the text, please look down at verse 8. Here's the climax, I think, of the passage. It says, then your light shall break forth like a dawn. What a beautiful picture of hope this is. And here comes healing. And your healing shall spring up quickly. Now, here it is. Watch this. Your vindicator shall go before you. Who is our vindicator? Your vindicator shall go before Who is that? By the way, the Hebrew word there is tzedakah. This is, the, this is your righteousness, your justice. But now it's personified. He's who is he talking about? Well, this is Isaiah who's writing, if you read the whole book, about this messianic figure, this suffering servant who's going to come. And Isaiah couldn't possibly imagine what we know to be true in that he's writing about Jesus Christ, God himself in human form, who walked among us, who died on a cross to bear our sins the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, think of this. Look at how God has disadvantaged himself so radically in order to advantage all of creation so abundantly. The Apostle Paul marvels at this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he's God, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Or in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness or the justice of God. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you and I are all lawbreakers, and yet God loves us anyways. And, and I like the way Brian Stevens says of prisoners, you should never be defined by your worst act. The good news of the gospel is you and I, if we believe in Jesus, can be defined by his best act because he attributes his righteousness to us. And we receive it, not because we deserve it, not based on an economy of merit, but because of mercy.
because of who God is. He is a merciful God. Jesus is our vindicator. Jesus is God's great agent of justice in the world. Let me read you one last quote from Brian Stevenson. He writes, I am more than broken. In fact, there is a strength, a power even, in understanding brokenness. Because embracing our brokenness creates a need and desire for mercy and perhaps a corresponding need and desire to show mercy. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. Isn't that true? When you, you see things you can't otherwise see, you hear things you can't otherwise hear when you experience mercy. Now, let me tell you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, here's one thing I know. There's no way to come to God except in desperation, except saying, I know my sin has put myself in mortal danger. I am in crisis. I have come to the end of myself. And yet, God gives us mercy when we're there. And so here's what I know. The followers of Jesus Christ understand brokenness like nobody else in the world. We understand the value of mercy. See, we've seen things we wouldn't have otherwise seen. And it gives us a kind of empathy that allows us to become agents of mercy and justice. Mercy is the healing heart of justice. If today you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, then what God promises through Isaiah for Israel, he promises to us tonight, and that is this, that you will be called repairers of the breach. You will be called restorers of the streets to live in. Let's pray, shall we? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, earlier this evening, Joyce so beautifully led us to confess our sin. But now we want to confess our faith, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the one who sits on the throne of heaven is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So beautifully do you rule. We pray that you will draw us by that beauty deep into your heart and then send us out with a fresh experience of mercy that helps us to be agents of justice tonight, this week, and as a community together for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.